Los Angeles. Don't miss the excitement of LA Kings playoff hockey at Crypto.com Arena. Tickets for the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs are on sale now. Visit LAKings.com slash playoffs to secure your seats today. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. All right, we are recording immediately, like immediately, immediately following game two, not even watching the post-game show, because Jack, I want to get this over with. Uh, Jack Jablonski joining me. How are you doing tonight, Jack? I'm all right. It's, you know, it's a disappointing 6-0 loss, but, um, you know, they got what they needed out of Edmonton, so there's there's some pros and some cons to, yeah, to let's, talk let's, about. Yeah, let's hold, let's hold the recap till the end. We're going to jump into it. Um, Jack, I texted you earlier today and I asked you to make some predictions for the game. Uh, I think I said three. I think you did four. That's fine. What were those predictions? Yeah, so I, I did four. I I went uh, two for four. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one, and, and I, I felt like the way they played game one, that we would see this type of a response in game two. And it was that the Kings will score a goal within the f- two minutes after the Oilers score a goal, which Bold they've, <laughs> well, they've been known to do it throughout the year. Yeah. And it's become part of their identity because they've always fought back and, and been able to kind of keep it as their narrative. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. We didn't score. So, oh, for one. Uh, the second one I uh, also got wrong, but it, it didn't really matter. I said the Kings will take less than four penalties. They took four. I felt like there was a learning lesson in game one for them, even though they won, to be able to understand that Edmonton's going to go two for four in the power play. They did just that. They went two for four. Um, so I thought that there would be a little bit of a lesson learning um, in game one in terms of taking penalties against a team like this, especially at home. They didn't, but uh, again, I'll stand by it. I think they'll take less than four when they get to game three. Uh, the two that I got right, I thought the Kings were going to get outshot again. Mm-hmm. When you when you beat a team like Edmonton in game one, especially in the last minutes of the game, you know, especially in the first 10 minutes that you know, a team's going to come out and really try to put a lot of pressure on you. Kings actually handled their own in the first 10 minutes. Um, and, and we're able to withstand that. But as the game went on, things unraveled. So they're outshot, I believe, what is it? 36 to 36, 30. And then uh, number four was no goals in the first 10 minutes. I, I just felt like with uh, an onslaught coming, at, at least what I thought would happen is Edmonton would push. And I thought the Kings were set up, you know, in terms of their vets being ready and no, knowing what was going to come, that they would be able to, to withstand a rush. Uh, I was right, but the Kings had the majority of the chances, so I wish I, I wish I was wrong. Uh, two for four, you know. I think I had a narrative decent, but I did not expect it to unravel uh, in the last, you know, two and change. All right, so I'm going to give you my three predictions now. Um, they were a lot less specific, um, and unfortunately, I think I went three for three on them, which <laughs> uh, will give you an idea of uh, what they were. Number one, I thought Mike Smith, uh, what I wrote down was Mike Smith will be on his game. Correct. Um, I think Mike Smith, for all of the fun that we like to poke at Mike Smith, because we're Kings fans and Mike Smith is Mike Smith, Mike Smith is a very good goalie and has and been he's for also, a very yeah, long time. Nine, nine and oh, ten and oh going into the playoffs. 
Yeah, like, and and you don't, you know, there was a lot made of, oh, he's a 39-year-old goaltender signed to a two-year contract. What are they doing? Ha, ha, ha. You don't get to be a 39-year-old goaltender signed to a two-year contract without being very good for a very long time. And, you know, he's a proud guy, and he was going to bounce back after giving up that goal at the end of game one. He did, in fact, uh, show up on his game. The second uh, prediction for me, and not a particularly novel thought, but I thought Edmonton will be more physical slash desperate. I thought they were. Um, and then the third one was sort of three and a half, which was the younger players will look a lot more comfortable and Brendan Lemieux will play more than three minutes. Um, Brendan Lemieux did play more than three minutes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if the younger players look, I thought they looked more comfortable. I'm not sure that they looked more capable. Um, I'll draw that distinction. So then, uh, so we got those out of the way, Jack, I'm just going to go through my notes the same way we did for game one. I liked how that worked. Um, so you just go ahead and weigh in, uh, as you did in the first one. And, Sounds uh, good. I'm going to start with the pregame and right off the hop, no Arvidsson again, not great. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think today it showed a little bit more uh, that, uh, the Kings are going to rely on, on veterans, guys who have been there, done that. Obviously Victor has been to a Stanley cup final with Nashville, uh, when they fell to, uh, Pittsburgh, I believe. Um, so yeah, not good. Um, let's hope he's okay to go for game three back in our own barn, but, um, uh, not good is, uh, is a solid way to put it. Yeah. And this is one of those cases where, you know, I'm not even really sure how to handle it because as team employees, it's not our job to hound the coaching staff or the organization and say like, why aren't you telling us where Victor Arvidsson is? Yeah. But we don't have like a Jim Matheson. Or, you know, uh, I'm blanking on the fellow's name out in New York that always r- rattles everybody's cages. Um, you know what I mean? Like, there isn't somebody to say, like, yeah. where is Victor Arvidsson? But I would I would very much like to know where Victor Arvidsson is. Yeah, well, um, just to go on top of that, and I want to build off of that, you know, I think Alex Iafello had a phenomenal game one. Um, yeah. He was noticeable at times in game two, but that just shows when you take a guy like him off of a third line, then things get minimal opportunities or, or you know i guess you could say opportunities are at a, a premium when it comes to your depth and when you have to take a guy like that who's so versatile um in all areas uh special teams and everything but uh most importantly five on five if he's not on the ice with some of the uh you know third and fourth line guys which he provides a lot help with uh that's where you're going to see the kings falter and unfortunately that was the case tonight uh, look the deepest team in the league would miss a 20 goal score uh, oh, hundred percent. Does it yeah. doesn't matter who? Yeah. Uh, next uh, note I had was this game cannot be eleven and twenty four versus twenty versus ninety seven and twenty nine. Um, it worked in game one. I don't think you can rely on that formula. For seven games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they need help, but no question they're going to line up against those guys uh, more times than not. Uh, you know, when when you're on home ice, you've got the last change, so you have the ability to mix and match. Uh, in a situation like today, uh, eleven and tw- you know eleven and twenty four were out there for the majority of the time against those two. But um, like you said, with the the engines that uh, McDavid and Drysaitel have, um, you're playing with fire if you're depending on two people only to prevent them from being on the scoreboard. Yeah. The next thing uh, I have written down, I, I was curious, so I looked it up. I wanted to know what Connor McDavid's record was in Game Two where he okay. lost where game he one. lost game yep. one um he's been to the playoffs three times if you count the play-in round is crazy to say it is crazy to say uh his record in game two is two and one okay. um because he's oh and three in game or sorry three and oh in 
no, what did I say? Two and one in game two because he's 0 and three in game one. He's never won game one of a playoff series. Now he's 0 and four, I suppose. Um, but in 2017, they lost game one and they won game two. In in uh, 2020, they lost game one and won game two. And in 2021, they were swept. So they lost both of those games. Yeah. Um, so I had a sneaking suspicion, like I said, with my predictions that Edmonton was going to be uh, on their game, that we would get a strong game from them. My next, my final, final, final note of the pregame before the game started was uh, they played Metallica again. I guess that's like their intro song. And I don't know. It just feels very weird to me. Edmonton does not feel like a Metallica team or a whatever Metallica gets town. the blood pumping, man. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, all right. So period one. Um. First thought I, I noticed was Byfield is not scared. Uh, he went back and he, he went at it with Cassian earlier than Lemieux got involved. And uh, to, to me, Cassian was giving off very strong. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. You're mad. I'm not mad kind of energy, like barking at Lemieux on the bench. And uh, at the time, I thought it was a good sign. Turns out it wasn't. Well, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. the next the next note is five minutes in Edmonton pressing Kings not backing down I thought the first five minutes Edmonton did exactly what everybody thought they would yep came out took a bunch of shots and I thought the Kings handled they handled it. it really well I mean the first yeah. 10 minutes they had the majority of the opportunities and they handled those first five minutes like like you mentioned and then they were able to start trying to play their game and and write their own script um, they weren't able to bear any chances which um, you know, the Kings best opportunities did come in the first period, but, uh, you know, when you look back, there's things that you can build off of from what we saw in the first period, especially in the first half of the first period. So then the next note, uh, is, you know, and I'm not gonna, <laughs> I, I wrote down a dirty word thinking I would just censor it, but I'm too tired to, uh, to dig out the file to put it in and do the editing. So I'm just going to say it was a dirty play by McDavid. He doesn't need to play like that. It wasn't that dirty in retrospect. But at the moment, I often think, you know, if you're if you're a lesser player and you have to play with a certain physicality on the edge in order mm. to be effective, I understand. For like, for example, like a like a Zach Cassian, maybe. Well, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to label any specific players, but like Connor yeah, David yeah. doesn't need to play like that. And so it's no. disappointing when he does. Yep. Uh, obviously, if anyone was watching the the broadcast, you know they know that McDavid uh, got ejected in, uh, I believe, the first game of the year, and that was or the first game at the time or the first game against the Kings this year yeah. um, for an identical hit. Um, you know, you saw McDavid's reaction after he he landed the hit on Mikey Anderson, and you know it was a little bit of frustration and disbelief, and kind of like, well, you know, what am I supposed to do? But um, you don't need to play like that. That's the, that's the exact type of play we're trying to get out of this game. Uh, it's dangerous. Um, he's not that type of player, but he has made a few mistakes, uh, and notably against the Kings. So um, don't get him riled up, I guess, unless yeah. you, know, you want to take some chances. And, and I actually want to correct myself. I won't call it dirty. The word I prefer to use with hits like that is irresponsible. And you know, I think I that's a good way to put it. I mentioned on Twitter that Drew Doughty was suspended for less in 2018. And I felt the same way about Doughty's hit that I did about Connor McDavid's hit, which was, yeah, I'm not sure it necessarily is uh, malicious or like I said, dirty, but it is to your point, the kind of thing that the league wants to get out of the game. And so 
they will focus on players like that. I don't know. Anyway, that's uh moving on. The next note was uh five minutes in. I don't think I've heard Athanasiu's name once so far this series. Um, just an observation at the time. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Next note, King's doing a good job clearing rebounds, coming back to support quick. Uh, obviously, this was all early on yeah, in the did, game. Did not last. No. Um, and then uh, intermission, one note in during the intermission, Jarrett Stoll said during the first period uh, intermission that the game was not as physical as he expected it to be. Um, now, Jack, I'll ask you how you want to, do you want to talk about the power plays in the first period now or keep going with the notes? Um, let's go with the notes. Let's continue with the right. notes and then get back to the All right. Remind me stories. if I don't remember to go back to the power plays. All right. Period yeah. two. First, first note of period two. Smith follows up his big flop in game one with a bigger one in game two. Yes. That, that was you know, that very well could have been the... Uh, what tilted the seesaw in, in the wrong direction. Uh, it definitely was a... Um, uh, uh, you know, one of those where you just put a note on that one and say the game changed in this, uh, in this one instance. Yeah. And then here's yet another note where I was planning on putting in a guitar riff, um, 29 scores on fill in the blank penalty. Uh, next note, Smith knocks the net off its moorings. (laughs) I was shortly after that. Then Kings take another questionable penalty. That was, uh, the play involving Arthur Kaliev. Uh, then my next note after that, they didn't score on that power play. Uh, but the note I wrote was if the Kings lose this game, and I think I meant series when I wrote this because of these kinds of penalties, Mm -hmm. I won't be mad because we talked a lot about how they need to stay out of the box. And for the most part, they did this game, Mm -hmm. but, but there's only, there's only so much control you have over it (laughs) when, when Mike Smith, you know, draws a penalty with a dive like that yeah he might get a little bit of a fine but it's not going to satisfy king's fans yeah uh now uh next uh two notes are related to the same moment essentially which is where where the game in my mind was officially lost um i said i don't understand why they don't play 12 and 24 together on the power play um just at this point, I, you know, play the power play like you would five on five. Put the same unit out there. We keep talking about how great their chemistry is. So let them, let them cook. And then almost as soon as I had finished writing that, uh, Edmondson scored shorthanded. And uh, I wrote that one off of Cali of stick. The kids will get blamed for that incorrectly. Um, one of my gripes about the discourse surrounding the power play is that the second unit winds up getting 15 to 20 seconds at the end of the two minutes. And then everybody looks at the numbers and goes, well, I don't know what to tell you. The second unit's not, not even as effective as the first unit. So, you know, it's on them. And it's like, well, yeah, like, the, the technically, issue, <laughs> regardless, the issue isn't that um, Darnell nurse scored. The issue is how that chance evolved. You look at the offensive zone and how Edmonton was able to skate out freely with three men. And then Kaliev, you know, and I understand Kaliev is when he was drafted, wasn't known for his defensive abilities. And Todd has talked a lot about how much he's learned, how much he has progressed. No matter who you are, if you're a forward and you're playing back on defense, you're going to be targeted. It doesn't matter if you're Arthur Kaliev or if you're Anze Kopitar. And they were able to take advantage of a Kaliev who had to make a decision between handling 
a Evander Kane up the middle with a center lane drive going to the net or to take out Darnell Nurse. So it was a perfect execution from Edmonton. Um, and it wasn't Arthur Kaliev's fault. It's how that the Kings put themselves in a position where it was a three on two on a penalty kill for 115 to 20 feet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to, we're going to put a pin in that one because it goes hand in hand with my thoughts on the uh, power plays from the first period. We're going to come back to that one as well. Uh, Next note uh, was it was shortly after that. And all of a sudden I thought even, even at two to nothing, I thought the Kings looked relatively um, unfazed, you know, they looked like themselves. And then all of a sudden there was a rush, not a rush like up the ice, but a, a, moment uh, an extended period in the game where it was like all of a sudden Edmondson was all over them they couldn't clear the zone Edmondson was just a step or two ahead of them for what felt like 90 seconds um and I wrote uh the game is getting out of control I guess get it out of your system it just felt to me like you know I sort of you know you can only maintain the kind of focus that the Kings need to maintain in order to win this series for so long you, you just can't do it 60 minutes a night, seven games in a row or four games in a row. You you have to, you just can't do it. It's humanly impossible. So uh, like I said, get it out of their system. And then with about six minutes left, I think in the second period, I saw the fans in Edmonton doing the wave. So the note was uh, don't do the wave. Uh, Are you an anti-wave guy in sports? Not in sports, but in, so, hockey, so, but in hockey. <laughs> okay. In hockey. I've, I I feel like whenever this conversation comes up and, and we don't have to spend much time on this, but yeah. uh, people are either like, yeah, it's cool. It's fun. Or people are like, get this thing out of the game. It's the dumbest tradition in sports. I like it at a baseball game. You know, I think baseball is appropriate. Hockey's yeah. a little weird. Cause it's like the play's going on baseball. That's, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. And, um, and in, with six minutes left in the second period of a two, nothing playoff game seems a little like, bit out of, yeah. Don't do the wave. <laughs> don't just don't do it all right um, fans jesse cohen are yeah there we go certified <laughs> uh so that was uh oh then uh, they score late in uh the second to make it three to nothing and i wrote okay just don't get hurt now right at, at yep. three, to, three to nothing i was not that it's impossible for a team to come back but started to think about um game <laughs> two or game three excuse me so then period three starts and I'll burn through these really quickly because not much to say about it. I wrote, all right, win the period if you can. Then it was four to nothing. And I said, well, that's game. That'll do it. Uh, and then I was reminded of a tweet that the Evolving Wild uh, account put out. And they do a lot of great uh, analytics work and stat work. A lot of the time, if you see people talking about uh, analytics, they're really just copying and pasting um, other people's work. In this case, uh, I'm doing that <laughs> to the Evolving Wild. But uh, on April 20th, they uh, they wrote, here's the spread of goal differential totals per game. Summed LA has had more blowout losses, but they've also had more one goal differential losses compared to Vegas, who have lost many more minus two goal games. Yeah. And how many how many times this season have we had the conversation where you go, well, better to get your head caved in than... It's a nice little wake up call. Yeah. So that was uh, that was tonight. We can talk about that a little bit later. Then I wrote Kings actually did stay out of the box, but I wondered if them being careful about how they played allowed Edmonton once they got a lead 
to pursue that more physical game and maybe put the Kings on their back heels and made them a little more tentative to push back and try and fight to that's, stay in this game. That's a, that's a very important, what's the word I want to go with, storyline to pay attention to throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the series. Because if the Kings are going to play tentative, it doesn't work in their advantage because we know how tenacious and feisty and gritty this team can be. But if they're not going to play their games solely because they don't want to take penalties against a lethal unit, might as well pack up and call it a day. Because, yeah. And I want to be clear. I don't think that they completely did that today. Not by any means. I think that it's interesting to pay attention to see if you've got guys who are known for being you know, behind the net, being gritty, going hard to the net, putting their head down uh, in the corners. That has to continue. It's been doing, been done all year. And we have a penalty kill unit that had started to find a little bit of momentum at the end of the season. Not so much anymore being 50% four for eight on the kill through two games. But um, I also would have said if the Edmonton Oilers are four for eight on the power play and were split, I'd be happy. So, yeah. You know, we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. When I wrote that, they had only had the two penalties called on them, the Mike Smith flop and the uh, I forget who it was that bounced off of Arthur Kaliev. But that was it to that point. And I thought, okay, well, double edged sword, right? Good that you stayed out of the box, but maybe like you said, yeah, Yeah. safe, et cetera. Uh, next note was that's definitely a penalty <laughs> Byfield's penalty. Um, yeah. Can't wrap yourself. No. Can't wrap your hand around someone. So, but at that point, I don't want to say who cares, but I, you know, I'm not, uh, like it was a penalty. Um, then finally there was a phrase Jack that we used to use in 2014 and 2012. And we used to talk about it all the time. It became sort of a running joke on the podcast and that was out composuring your opponent. And and the idea was that a lot of the reason that the Kings won those series was because they maintained their composure. And even 40 minutes, 45, 50 minutes into this game, even though they were losing, I felt like they were maintaining, for the most part, maintaining their composure. At the end, I felt like it started to get a little bit away from them. And so I wrote, maintain composure. Don't let them beat you upstairs, too. Right? Like, they're already, you've already lost this game. That's fine. Don't let them think that they've got you because you still have to coming home with a split. That's great. All the things we said at the end of the first episode about how important it is to come away with, you know, we said, even if this game goes horribly, at least you've got a split. All that's still true. Um, And I was concerned that they were letting Edmonton uh, get under their skin at 1141 a.m. I said in a group chat, Mike Smith shut out incoming. That is true. I said that. I don't know how much of it was me just being, you know, and it's pessimist. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even like me, right? Like, every, I am sure that dozens, if not hundreds, of Kings fans jokingly said to their friends and family today, "Oh, Mike Smith shot it." You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they didn't. Maybe it is just me. But I feel like it was a. a but I did say it, so there you go. Um, two more notes left before we're done with this part, Jack. One is uh, this is not the way, Lemieux is what I wrote at the end. There. Uh, Brent, yes. Brendan Lemieux trying to stir stuff up. I get it. I understand the instinct. I don't think there's much of a benefit. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe, maybe Jared Stoll or Jim Fox would tell me that I'm wrong and that there's tremendous value in something like that. But from my perspective in a loss like that, 
don't take any dumb penalties. Don't do anything that's going to get you, particularly with his reputation and the league's propensity for punishing him based on that reputation. Take your loss. Get out of town. Come home with a 1-1 split. You have home ice advantage. Let's not do that. And then uh, actually this last note I think is going to be a perfect transition into the two pins that we put earlier. With about a minute left in the game, Alex Faust said they will have to start executing on special teams. Yeah. And they they will. <laughs> um, yep. That first period that we talked about where they played so well, they had two power plays. Edmonton had none. And mm-hmm. this this game was not decided by refing. The first game was not decided by refing. It's very, 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 very rare that any game or series is actually decided by the refs. Um, I understand the impulse. I certainly succumb to it from time to time to complain about officiating. I really don't think it's playing a role in this series. What is playing a role uh, is that the Kings are exactly who they have been all season, whether it's being in a ton of one goal games and losing more than your average amount of blowout games, whether it's dominating a five on five and struggling on special teams. Um, the Kings do have to sort out special teams because in a game that could have been, I mean, they, they got shut out and they, didn't score a power play goal and they allowed another shorthanded goal. And then that is not a recipe for success against this particular opponent. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, special teams are huge. And I'm, as you were saying this, I was kind of running through some statistics uh, in terms of special teams and the, um, and the playoffs so far and through two games or through two days, of the eight games, the team that scored more power play goals won every single game. And we know that there's a distinct advantage with Edmonton. Now, just because they have that advantage doesn't mean that they're going to win every game, but it just means that it shows how important it is for the Kings to play the right way. And that's to be able to be aggressive and draw penalties in the offensive zone, opposed to being on the other end and taking penalties um, in your zone and the, the 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 kings weren't able to cash in on the two power plays they got in the first period which would have drastically changed the not who knows about the outcome but at least the 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 way that the game would have gone because the kings had an opportunity to take the lead take the crowd out of it and build on momentum that they had from game one they weren't able to do that and then one for one uh, in terms of power plays uh, that uh, Edmonton was able to to you know take advantage of when uh, they got their first opportunity, and that changed everything. So um, it's important. It's it's something that you know Todd has talked about from time and time again, and you know the units, the personnel, whatever it may be, um, you know someone has to figure it out, and that just means um, you hope that this unit that's been able to move the puck in that first. Uh, power play uh, can cash in and then all of a sudden they've got a distinct advantage uh, if they can level it up at five on four um, and use their five on five uh, skill and you know notable statistics that favor the kings yeah and i just you know i'm looking at the shot attempt uh graph whatever you want to call it the roller coaster as i like to call it um 
you know, Ed, we talked about it earlier. Edmonton sort of came out swinging in the first, well, I don't know, three to five minutes. Um, the Kings weathered the storm. They get that early power play. And for the next 10 minutes, the Kings start taking control of the game. Yeah. Right? They get two power plays. And, and yep. things yeah. always level out. And that's, yeah. they always level out. So you have to take advantage of the opportunities you're given, especially when, you know, you get two in a row, you get three in a row. Because you know, no matter what, and I understand that makeup calls technically don't exist, but the refs want to make it, you know, they want to make it as even as possible. And um, very rarely, especially in playoff games, you're going to see a very lopsided power play um, between the two teams in terms of opportunities. Yeah. And what you'll see in that uh, roller coaster is. The quick uptick to Edmondson's side in the first few minutes of the game, then the the game pulling back to LA's favor over the next 10 minutes with those two power plays. And then after the Kings fail to score on their two, those two power plays, from then on, it's a straight line up to the right in Edmondson's favor um, for the rest of the game. And I don't think it's a coincidence there's a brief moment in the second period where the Kings sort of tried to fight back but I don't think it's a coincidence that early in a game where everybody knew that Edmondson was going to come out and play more physical they were going to play with uh, desperation is not exactly the right word I want to use but hunger whatever intensified intensity I think and so right off the hop there you have an opportunity to to penalize them for that strategy Right. They come out, they push the tempo. They're trying to, you know, they're trying to um, trying to dictate the tone. And in the first period, I was thinking, um, I don't know how many people who are listening to this have ever been in a fight or or who have ever uh, been. And I don't mean a hockey fight. I mean, a oh, my God, what is happening? I'm in the real world and I didn't expect to be in the middle of a fight kind of fight. Um, I'm an idiot. And so I have been in too many situations where I have tried to break up fights. And the one thing that I have noticed in all my years of that is it's never as, uh, choreographed or as smooth as, you know, TV or movies would lead you to believe. And most of the time, if you're dealing with somebody who has lost their mind enough to aggression that they're trying to punch somebody else, they're not really doing it that smoothly. (laughs) and to me that's sort of what the oilers were looking like in the first period they were coming out they were trying to bully the kings they were trying to push them around but it felt a little uncontrolled to me it felt a little i will use the word desperate in this case and i think jared stole when he said in the first intermission that it wasn't as physical as he was expecting it because i don't think of edmonton as a particularly physical team yes evander kane is um darnell nurse can be zach cassian can be but they're identity i suppose isn't as like you know it's not the same as the 2012 kings right where they would come out and the 2012 kings weren't going to punch you in the face they were going to body check you through the boards and then by the third period you'd be exhausted so at the end of that first period i thought okay that's it the kings took the best punch that edmonton had which was a sort of you know over aggressive drunk guy at a at a concert trying to you know punch somebody who pushed them and missing and i thought all right that's fine like we can handle that um but i feel like maybe the king's failure to punish them properly by scoring on the power play might have emboldened them and then 
no, you, you know, you're exactly right. You know, we all talk about how much momentum a power play goal can give you. Uh, killing a power play, especially doing it in, in good fashion, is just as important. And the the Kings and Jim Fox, I think, nailed it on the head on the broadcast. Uh, talked about how the puck movement was great, and they got a lot of opportunities um, on that first power play. You know, they were moving properly. Uh, the zone entries were fluid. Uh, all of a sudden it got stagnant on zone entries and puck movement and positioning on the second. And I think the third penalty kill or the power play as well. And when you allow uh, any penalty kill to sit back and not feel like they're uncomfortable, that's, that's something that every penalty kill hopes for. And the Kings obviously have multiple assets that can score goals, but you know, they've been known to to lack that that X factor that can just strike. So if the Kings aren't going to be able to move the puck and, and be able to, to, you know, get Edmonton uncomfortable on their penalty kill, chasing the puck with the crisp passing and, and the proper communication, then you're going to allow Edmonton to continue to build momentum after they take a penalty. You know, you want to build momentum, whether it's by scoring a goal or getting three or four opportunities by you know keeping the pressure on and then taking that you know to the next five on five shift and unfortunately the kings weren't able to do that and that i think kind of fueled edmonton into knowing that if they can get through this then they can start to turn the tables and that's exactly what happened yeah uh all right we're going to take a break right now when we come back we're going to do play the game player of the game there's i think i have that backwards it's going to be short We'll be right back. Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup. And you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-size intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022 the LA Kings, and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. All right, uh, Jack, uh, play of the game? Mike Smith flopping, is that okay? <laughs> sure, why not? I think that changed everything. You know, the Kings had two power plays. They weren't able to score. Edmonton gets their first opportunity, and and frankly, dry settle. you know, give credit where credit's due is a beautiful shot. Uh, from uh, you know one of the best goal scorers in the NHL, um, but you know for for Mike Smith to to create that opportunity for his team, um, hopefully the referees will be a little bit more aware as we get into the series here. But uh, I think that definitely was a uh, one of the the big changes uh, in terms of momentum that led to an Oilers turnaround after a, a good start for the Kings. I'll go with uh, I, Alex Iafalo hitting. The yeah. Post. Oh man. <laughs> I thought uh, I thought that was for sure a goal, but uh, it was not. I think we all did. I I was like, you know, jumping up, being like, "Where's the horn?" Because I thought it was in. And um, you know, as the the broadcast team for us, you know, explained it, it you didn't hear a ding because it kind of hit the the in between part of the post where it doesn't make much noise and um, just, it's, you know, I'm not a, a an angles guy or a math guy, but. <laughs> It yeah. didn't make sense how the puck didn't go in the net. Yeah, no, it, it didn't. Uh, all right, player of the game for the Kings. <laughs> no no picking Mike Smith. <laughs> player of the... 
I don't think I have one. Unfortunately, it's I'll I'll, I'll name I'll give you three candidates and you okay. tell me you tell me which one you want to go with. Um, well, actually, I'm gonna maybe I'll add a fourth one. So uh, here's how I'm picking it for tonight. I'm going by uh, all strengths, even strength and special teams. Who played the most amount of minutes and was on the ice for the fewest goals against? That's how I'm that's how I'm picking it. Um, uh, if you're looking at all you, Philippe Deneau? Uh, Deneau was on the ice for one goal against and played 20 minutes. So it was actually not a bad night for him, but uh, not as dominant uh, in you know possession metrics. But Alex Iafalo, 18 minutes, 51 seconds, no goals against. Dustin Brown, 12 minutes, 16 seconds, no goals against. Oli Mata, 14 minutes, 51 seconds, no goals against. Of those three guys, Dustin Brown's the only one with positive possession metrics. So uh, I'm going with Dustin Brown. Uh, given the the brief numbers you threw at me, I'll go with Alex Iafalo. I think if we can get Alex Iafalo to continue this production and continue this noticeability and and you know puck on his stick, especially in the offensive zone, I think when they do get Victor Arvidsson back, which you you hope is Game Three, you know uh, we don't know uh, we don't have an update on that, but if you can get Victor Arvidsson back and he can provide that for another line. I think that makes the Kings all that more dangerous. All right. We are going to take another break. When we come back, we will look at uh, game three and what we hope and expect to see out of your LA Kings. Bad calls, dirty slashing. We expect a little bull on the ice, but you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages, looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. All right, Game 3 is uh, Friday night at Crypto.com Arena. First home playoff game since 2018. I'm very excited. I know everybody else is too. It's going to be a ton of fun. Jack? We made our predictions for game two. Let's go ahead and make our predictions for game three right now. Uh, what do you expect to see in game three? Well, I think we'll see a, a jump of life in the first 10 minutes. You know, once you get back to your own barn, um, the crowd we know will be rocking, to say the least. Um, and, you know, it's the first time the Kings have had a home game in four seasons. So uh, I think we'll see a, a, a very energized team. Uh, in the first 10 minutes, you hope that they're able to take in, you know, take an advantage and cash in in some way or another. Um, but on top of that, it goes back to getting back to their identity and getting the puck in deep, getting aggressive, going after their defensemen. Um, we saw what the Kings were able to do in game one when they got the puck behind Edmonton's defensemen. And if they can use their tenacity and their speed, especially in that, that, that second line's identity, um, I think we'll we'll see a lot more success in offensive zone um, pressure and offensive zone you know possession. So uh, I think you have to hope that that'll be a little bit more of uh, what we see uh, in terms of their mindset going into the game. You know they lost six zero, but mission accomplished on the road. You know you got the split, you own home ice, um, you're going back to your barn. You have to be feeling good about the way that you guys played game one, um, and you realize what you can't do and, and what happened in game two. So, um, you know, coaching staff will be all over special teams. And uh, on top of that, you know, you just got to hope that Jonathan Quick bounces back. And uh, frankly, I expect him to. 
Yes, I'm not worried about Jonathan Quick, and I'm not worried about the team in general because at this point I don't know what the record is, but their record following a loss since Christmas is great. And Jonathan Quick's personal, um, one of the hallmarks of his career was always bouncing back after a loss like that. So not too worried about that. As far as things that I hope to see, obviously we hope to see Victor Arvidsson back in the lineup. Um, We hope to see... Might be an understatement. Yeah. Um, I would very much like to see the Kings not worry about, like, I understand why we all said you got to stay out of the box after game one. After game two, my approach is don't worry about going to no, the box. No, play your game. Yeah, the Kings exactly. have been great. When they play their game, they're in the offensive zone. They're creating turnovers. They're creating havoc, whether it's cycling or, you know, getting your defenseman involved. It's their ability to be aggressive on both ends of the ice and even in the neutral zone to be able to cause turnovers and and cause uh, opportunities for the Kings to be able to pounce and get to the net. I think that's another one for me is if you looked at the the heat map in terms of the shot chart, Edmonton had had quite a bit of heat, well, so to speak, Mm. uh, right around the Kings net. The Kings did not get to the slot today. Uh, that's something they need to. If you looked at the goals that the Kings scored in game one, you know, Trevor Moore came right from the slot. How did it happen? Turnover behind the net, create an opportunity, get the puck to the front of the net, score. You look at uh, the second goal that Alex Iafalo scored, same type of thing. Turnover, they tried to shoot it out. We get it back down low behind the net. Trevor Moore makes a phenomenal play and sets up Alex Iafalo in front of the net. So uh, clearly there's a recipe um, and you get Mike Smith moving from behind to in front it's the recipe that has worked so far um and that doesn't have to do with anything with uh, the puck play either so they can get it behind the defenseman i think it's a, an extremely valuable asset to the success of the king's team moving forward yeah uh i'll be very curious to see uh victor arvidsson aside um if we see the same lineup in game three because what we saw, I felt tonight was, you know, to my point about uh, the series can't it just can't be twenty four and eleven versus ninety seven and twenty nine, um, because that will result. I I personally believe that'll result in a win for Edmonton, because as good as twenty four and eleven are, which is very very good. Um, yeah, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are. Very, very good. Very, very, very good. Uh, and that extra very, um, you know, you're not going to shut them down, right? You know. Yeah, you only hope to contain them. And that's just yeah. how this game works. Uh, uh, in terms of personnel, I think it'll be interesting to see if they make any moves. Uh, you got to go like Tobias Bjornfoot, who's played the majority of the year when healthy in the lineup. Um, not in the lineup right now. You know, can they bring in the speed of Rasmus Kupari to, to bring some energy? It'll be interesting to see what decisions Todd goes with. Whatever he does, I trust him. Uh, He's helped us get to this situation. But, um, you know, Todd seems to be able to make the right tweaks when uh, lineup changes are needed. So if he deems uh, that that's the case, then uh, I'm all in for whatever he does. Well, I wasn't planning on bringing this up at this point, but I think I will. Anyway, um, one of the things that I've begun thinking about this team is that 
the way I've been phrasing it to myself is that the things that make them good are also the things that make them struggle or, or the, the areas that they exceed or excel at are, are also the areas they struggle at. So for example, special teams or, or keeping the lineup the same. I'm what I'm left to sort of conclude at the end of a season where they have struggled uh, mightily all year long on special teams and have not really changed that much about the special teams. Um, what I'm left to conclude is that what's more important is maintaining that identity that we've talked about. And, and um, oh, maybe I want to back up and come at this from a different angle. Uh, <laughs> so if if what's important is the players buying in to what the coaching staff is selling and feeling like the coaching staff can be trusted and committing to their to their strategies that that is what's most important right like this team wins on identity and structure fair statement yeah absolutely it's structure discipline okay. um yeah that's no question okay. So then if you start monkeying around with everything, you know, if, if a power play unit has a bad game and you say, okay, that's it. We are going to completely, you know, we're going to listen to the fans on social media and we're going to play Blake Lazat, um, you know, Ole Mata and Troy Stetcher as a forward unit on the power play uh, because, you know, Kings fan three, four, five, six, seven said we should. Um, maybe that compromises that, not obviously the structure at five on five, but maybe that compromises the tone of the locker room. Maybe that compromises the buy-in from the entire team. And so maybe you say, okay, yes, the power play theoretically um, could be better if we handled it differently, but handling it differently would negatively impact the rest of the team. That is something that I would be very curious. I don't ever expect to get an answer on that, but I would be curious to give the entire team sodium pentothal and find out um, because, because because that at least makes sense to me. Um, I I don't have a whole lot to comment on that. What I do think to, is, you don't have yeah, to at yeah. all. I put you in an unfair position. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I I'm, the the only thing I have to say is no question this team has bought in on the system. You know, that's why they're in the playoffs. That's yep. why they took game one. If they play the way that they know they can play, um, and they've been able to do it against Edmonton throughout the season, they, they have a distinct advantage and that's playing five on high, five on five, being aggressive, getting the puck to the net and challenging the Edmonton defenseman and goalie. And um, fingers crossed that that's a, a recipe or a, you know, uh, an angle that they go at moving forward. Um, we didn't really see it that much tonight, and, and that might have played a little bit into the reasoning why the game was 6-0. Um, we saw that strategy and, and that play out in game one, and it, it led to some goals and some success. So um, no question this team is bought in. This team is is uh, obviously disappointed with the, the score tonight, but, um, you know, I'll go back to it. When you've got a team that's, going in as an underdog to come out one, one and to be able to split going back with some positive reinforcements and, and some lessons learned. This team's in a good place going into game three. Yeah. And I didn't write it down in my notes, but I did observe it and probably should have mentioned it earlier. One of the reasons I'm curious about lineup changes in game three is that we did see the lineup shuffled uh, in the third period. The The lines were jumbled up. They were, we were seeing some combinations that, we hadn't seen in game one or much of game two. All right, Jack, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, 
Sorry, Kings fans. Wish we had a lot more positive stuff to talk about, but we will on uh Yeah. And Friday everything night. and everything we said after game one is still a hundred percent true. Coming out of this two game set with a one one split is a great thing. I'm not really worried about how it happened. Um played it earlier uh, this season when uh, Colorado stomped the Kings, played the clip from uh, Ted Lasso. I'll play it right now here. Uh, it sums up my feelings perfectly. And uh, on that note, Jack, I will see you Friday night. Yep. And I uh, hope to see Kings fans there as well. It'll be a great atmosphere and um, look forward to, to seeing some playoff hockey in crypto.com arena. Thanks for listening. Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.